You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Hey there on the Sly listeners, this is Jesse Cohen. We recorded this episode leading up to the World Juniors and intended to play it during the tournament, but before we had a chance, they canceled the remaining games. There were too many good stories to just let the episode disappear, so we're bringing it to you now. Hope you enjoy. And we wanted to do a show on the World Juniors because I think they deserve that spotlight, number one, but also because you were a part of a World Junior tournament and can give some wonderful input and insight as to what it's like to compete in an event like this. So you were a part of the Canada team that participated in the World Juniors in 1980. Now, technically, the event began in December of 1979, but they're considering it the 1980 World Junior Championships for the records. It was the Peterborough Peets that had their entire team that year, essentially, as the roster for Team Canada. And then several players were supplemented into that roster. You were one of those players who was added in. You actually had a fantastic tournament, as a matter of fact. Three goals, a couple of assists. And so I'm curious what what your memories are of taking part in the World Juniors. It was in Finland that year. I know your team finished fifth. You didn't win at all, but you guys had a pretty successful tournament. You won three games, lost a couple of times to two very good teams. Was it all that it was cracked up to be in terms of your expectations of participating in international play? Well, it was much different back then than it is now. It wasn't the high-profile tournament that it is now. Uh, so there wasn't as much of that build-up. There wasn't, for instance, a selection camp in the summertime, and then they go to a training camp, and then they you know make the final cuts, all those things. As you mentioned, at that time, basically what they did, they really didn't have a formal procedure to, at least that year, they decided not to select a team from all around Canada, uh, and they picked the Peterborough Peets as a, a group. And then they had some additions. Uh, there were five, I think, from my team, the Ottawa 67s. There was me, there was Sean Simpson, Yvonne Jolly, Doug Crossman, uh, Bill Kitchen. So basically five, a forward line and two defensemen. Uh, Dino Cicerelli was picked up from uh, the London Knights. Uh, Rick Lance was a defenseman, played for the Vancouver Canucks mostly uh, throughout his career. But th- yeah, the pickups were just, you know, five or six, let's see, seven seven players that were added to the Peets uh, from the Ontario Hockey Association, as it was back then, the OHA, now the OHL. Um, so that's how it came together. Um, Mike Keenan was the head coach of the Peterborough Peets at the time. So that was interesting uh and it was it's it's really the inner workings the peterborough peets at that time and the ottawa 67s my team they were almost always meeting up in the playoffs and always battling for first place so there was a huge rivalry and then in the middle of the season to kind of join that group was very odd uh, very difficult. Uh, uh, I think it was interesting that, you know, again, like Dino Cicerelli and a couple other guys joined too from other teams. That helped. Um, but it certainly was, uh, you know, you're, you're playing, you're, you're joining your biggest rivals for two weeks. And then, you know, you go back and then you get five. Actually, later that season in the playoffs, we ended up losing to Peterborough. They knocked, I think they swept us in the, in the, in the, the final of our conference. So, um, that was not the, you know, the memories there are very, very interesting. And it was, you wore the, you know, it was, it just wasn't the same as it is now because of 
of how they had the, the set up and yeah. You know, you're certainly proud to play for Canada and, you know, the media was there, was covering, it was, you know, it was Team Canada. It just, it just didn't have the same type of feel. Was there any tryout involved, by the way? Were you going for the team or did they just pick the best players that they have thought from around the league? They just selected a few extra players. That's what they did. So um, I'm just looking at it right now. Again, Dino uh, Cicerelli was from London, London Knights. The London Knights and the Ottawa 67s were owned by the same ownership group, basically. Mm-hmm. They had a common owner. So I'm wondering if that had a lot to do with it. Uh, Rick Lance, I think, came from the uh, Oshawa Generals. So it, it was just, it was mostly the the Ottawa 67s and picking up five players. So that that was the where the most came from. And that, uh, again, so I knew, so I had four teammates with me that we knew and we, we were able to hang together. But uh, again, when you, all of a sudden you're just, you're you're in the locker room with your big biggest rivals. I mean, in one day, bang, you're just, you're there. And that's, that's how it happened. So. And if, if I remember you telling me this, you actually had to wear their uniforms, right? Did you guys wear it? You didn't wear a team Canada uniform. You know what? That's, that's what I recall. And that's just the way it was kind of thrown together in that year. Uh, I remember previous years, but when Wayne Gretzky played in, in the world junior championships was a year earlier, a couple of years, they had Team Canada jerseys and all, but for whatever reason, it just fell through the cracks. Uh, the planning wasn't done. You know, it's not as official as it is nowadays. Uh, you know, Team Canada or Hockey Canada wasn't as big and organized with a full-time staff and all those, those types of things. I'm sure they did have staffing, but it just wasn't um, as easy as it is now because now it's, a, you know, it's a well-oiled machine, right? You have camps here, you have that, you're sending in here, you got coaching staff selected and all of these things going around. So uh, it, it made for a, an interesting, uh, an interesting situation, but. And actually at that time, and I read this, I don't know if you had heard this at the time or even since that there were some funding issues for team Canada, that they actually had to raise some money or in order to send the team there, that hockey Canada had not really supported that team the way financially that they probably should have. And so they had to get some donations in order to make it happen and eventually send you guys over to Finland. And I don't know if it had anything to do with the results from the previous couple of years, which weren't very good uh, in the world juniors for team Canada. And so ultimately they did wind up raising the funds and they sent you over there at that point. Was there pressure? Because I I would think now, especially when you're a Canadian young player, I don't care if it's the world juniors or the Olympics, there has to be pressure to win. Did you guys have any pressure whatsoever from hockey Canada or from uh, within your families or from within the country to actually perform well? Well, most of us were undrafted. Some had already been drafted. I was not drafted yet. So I was playing my final year of junior. Uh, the underage draft, as they called it back then, meaning they used to select players at 20 years of age, was the youngest. About two years pr- prior to where I was selected, maybe three, uh, two years, they went to the 18-year-old draft. So I was not drafted my first year of eligibility. And then I was drafted, of course, by the Kings at the end of the 1980 season. So for those that were undrafted, yes, the pressure was there because now you're in front of scouts and you're playing extremely high quality competition that you don't see anywhere else. And this is your chance to really shine and show. And if if that would be the case, then you would, you know, certainly improve, if not solidify your draft status. So that was where I think most of the pressure came from. As far as the the pressure playing for Canada, again, I don't really feel 
that I, I I can't remember feeling that way because we just it just didn't have the same feel when you're not really playing for what you would call the the national team, um, even though we were representing Canada. And it was it, it was it was an eye opening experience. Uh, you know, we'll get into a few things here, but you mentioned our placement. We ended up placing fifth. Well, what happened was we after the first two games we were no longer involved in the medal round. So the medal round were top four teams. Uh, I, I would make game one, we play Finland. Mm-hmm. So it's in Helsinki. Host country, yep. Um, Yari Kuri, uh, Reho Reitsalainen. I mean, outstanding players. Those are the players that stood out for Team Finland. Um, we lost 2 1 the first game. So you're in the home building of the host team. My recollection is this is basically we played the third period two men short the entire period. There was a huge, huge difference in the way the game was officiated back then. North American style, European style. So we're playing in Europe. This was our first game. We found it extremely, de- every body check we threw, a penalty was called. So they weren't used to that type of style. I don't think they were. I think we all have stories about officiating by home teams in Olympic or world championship competitions where perhaps the home team gets a little bit of a a boost. Uh, But again, I I don't have the score sheet in front of me, but I I remember we were, we were two men short for, for a huge amount of period. Number three, we ended up getting only losing two to one. Um, I do remember this. It's it's an odd story. It happened, you know, real time live, so you don't have a chance. At the end of that game, Mike Keenan was so upset that he called the entire team off the ice. Now, in international competition, right, you stand at the blue lines and they play the national anthem of the winning team following each game. He called all all of the team off. Now we we being the players that were not Peterborough Peach really didn't. I ended up standing on the blue line with about five guys, maybe six or seven. And I think it was all the guys that were not Peterborough Peach because for whatever reason, the, you know, Mike's yelling at the, and they, they just left the ice. Uh, all the Peach team uh, players did. And he was going, you know, bonkers, which I really don't blame him. I really don't. It was, it was a very difficult situation. Uh, again, just, because of the, the differences in styles, the officials were just every time we touched someone. And it wasn't, you know, they weren't diving or it was just any body contact basically was called a penalty. Hmm. And uh, we were just not used to that. So, again, at the end of the game, he calls the entire team off the ice and does not want us standing for the national anthem of the Finnish team. And of course, you're in Helsinki now. The fans are not appreciating this. Again, six or seven of us did stay on the blue line. We stayed. And of course, when we came off, Mike Keenan just went, it lit into us for like mm. separating ourselves from, which I didn't see it at the time. I never heard. And then all of a sudden you're standing there and they're playing the national anthem and you look around and, you know, some guys had skated off the ice and it just was a real, it didn't end up being an international incident, but, uh, you know, I think it was a higher, you know, if there was more uh, publicity surrounding the tournament, it may have turned out to be that way. But, uh, was Mike intense back then, by the way? I mean, we yeah. know him as the intense guy. Yeah, he was. And it was a great experience, to be honest, uh, to play for him. 
he he was very very well prepared um, but again we weren't prepared as a group to understand how the games were going to be officiated we just didn't we didn't have that uh we didn't have that understanding and it cost us game one no question yeah uh, i think there was one team that was on level with us and that were as good as team canada even the makeup of that group, the Peterborough Peets Plus, um, and that was the Russian team. The Finnish team beat us two to one again under circumstances which were just di- difficult. It was just so difficult to play, uh, and so we play game two against Russia. And now, if we lose that game, we're out, and we're playing the team that ends up winning the gold medal. So they beat us eight to five, but you know, just to you know, take a look at. And they went five and zero in the tournament. I mean, they yeah. were really yes. good with Krutov and Igor Larionov was on yeah, that team. Exactly. W- were you excited in some way to see them? I don't know what the talk was in, in 1980, but obviously we know what they did in the Olympics against the U.S. But there had been great Russian teams, not just in the World Juniors, but international competition as a whole throughout the 70s. And of course, the 72 Summit Series is so well known and how that was just so wonderful for Canada in both countries. As you were preparing to play them, was there an excitement or an anticipation for just seeing what that model of hockey was going to be like? Well, it started in practice. We get there a few days early and you're watching the other teams practice. And once again, you're talking about a complete different approach and style to practice. The one thing that stood out immediately was the skill level of how they handle pucks. Every drill they did in practice, they did with a puck. So for instance, if we were to you know warm up and you skate the lines and you do this, in North America, you just do it without a puck. They had a puck basically every drill they were doing. So then you could see how they were pivoting and moving and turning and edge work and all that. I mean, you go, wow, this is impressive. And that was the Finns and the Russians. More, you know, the Swedes were there pretty good. Um, Tomas Steen was on that team. Um, so they had, they had, you know, but the, just the way they approached it. So that, that clued us in right away. In all honesty, we didn't know the players. You know, I didn't know who Yari Kuri was. I didn't know who Vladimir Krutov was. I didn't know who Igor Leyaranov was. And they kind of, I assume they didn't know much about us either. Uh, I will say this, and it sounds funny, and I think it continued throughout his career. I think I can make a pretty good argument that Vladimir Krutov is the best player I've ever seen. Wow. You know, at that time. And I'm talking, you know, Gratz and... Lemieux and he was exceptionally skilled. Uh, he's passed away now, but um, and, and he won he the MVP o- in that tournament, by the way. And he came over to to Canada with the Vancouver Canucks along with Larionov. Later on, when he was probably past his prime, um, Krutov just could not he could not find a way to get used to the North American style, and he just he didn't assimilate well and you know his, his game suffered because of that and you know fitness and all of those types of things but he was incredible the way he skated and handled the puck he was pretty big like he wasn't that tall but he was thick you know he was he was as wide as he was tall and he was so hard to knock off the puck 
he played with Krutov. Uh, excuse me, he played with Larionov on the same line. And uh, Makarov, who was on that number one line, was already with the national team. So he wasn't playing in the World Juniors. He was already up, even though he was junior age. He could have played on that in that tournament. They decided not to play him there. He was playing with the national team. I know they have uh, tournaments for national teams during the same time. Um, so he wasn't available. So, But just to watch them, to see them practice again, and then how they would, they being Europeans, more specifically the Russians, the regroups. So, for instance, they would, instead of reattacking right away, they would skate back into their own zone, all five, and reattack as a group. And they rarely dumped the puck in. If they got to the red line or the, the far blue line and they decided they didn't like, they just regrouped all the way, went all the way back into their own zone. And, and during this time, they basically had the puck all the time. And they just were, you know, 10 foot passes, bang, bing, 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 all over the ice. Incredible skill. So, you know, that was, we were in the process there of the evolution of North American hockey, learning from Europeans. And I think now you would make the argument that a lot of the Europeans learned from the North Americans and we came together as a world in hockey. But what we took from them was their skill. And you could see it in the practices. The practices were just incredible the way they moved the puck around. Was there any animosity at all? I, I mentioned 72. That's only eight years prior to that. You had seen it, I'm sure, as a kid. And everybody was talking about that tournament when it happened. Even 76 between the Canadians and the Russians. I know it's not at the world junior level, but at the at the higher level with the big boys on the ice, you would watch those tournaments. Any animosity toward them whatsoever? Or, uh, hey, we, we need to shove it down their throats or anything like that? Not really. Not really at all. I, I don't think so. I, I think at, at least at that age, we're, I think, still learning and you're still learning about your game and trying to improve your game and you're seeing groups that play a completely different style. And I think it was more fascination than animosity. It was just really getting to know and understand how well they played and how well they practiced and prepared and all of those types of things that we didn't know a lot about at that time. And and that's what we did. Now, there was an interesting, I remember, uh, we were all in the same hotel and we did one night, the Canadian team, you know, we just kind of met in the stairwell and we met up with the Russian team hmm. and, and uh, they didn't speak English. We didn't speak Russian. There was a couple of interpreters around and, you know, you try to talk and, you, you know, and, and I, with, with Igor Larionov, we, we remember meeting each other. Um, you know, he was a top player on their team. I was a top player on the Canadian team. So I don't know if we took the forefront in the conversations, but trying to converse through interpreters and things of that sort. At the world during that time, Russia had just invaded Afghanistan. And it sounds funny to say now, right? Because we were just not too long ago leaving Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and, you know, we, 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 I remember talking to them about that and they were, you know, you know, they're, they're what they were told in Russia was that Afghanistan invited, invited Russia in to take, help them. You know, now I think we might disagree with that. Again, we didn't, I didn't know a lot about world politics at the time, but you, you certainly knew that was happening. Uh, so that, I just remember that being a little bit of a conversation and, you know, they were saying, yeah, you know, they, they invited us in, they're having a hard time in their country and they wanted us to come in and we're going to help them out and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was just, 
again, the respect was there from seeing them day one. I mean, they were just incredibly skilled as individuals. But then I think we know that the team game that they played was, you know, North American hockey was up and down your wing, right? You're up and down, north-south. And European hockey was east-west. Take the puck laterally, move across the blue line, change the point of attack, regroup, go back. And ours was get to the red line, dump it in and go. If, if it's not an outnumbered attack, you dump it in and go, and, you know, you pick it out of the corner and you start a forecheck and you try to get it going that way. Where they would never dump the puck in hardly at all. They would keep it. And if they didn't like, again, I mentioned earlier, they would just regroup and start all over again and, and keep going that way. And uh, so we, we ended up losing the first two games and that was it. We were out of the medal competition at that point. Now, we won every other game the rest of the way. And I, I, I would make the argument we were certainly a top three team, if not a top two team. But I, I would have to say the Russian team was probably better. Uh, and again, they proved it by beating us. But uh, you, yeah, you wound up beating, was it Switzerland, the U.S. and West Germany in that tournament? I'm curious, actually, about the meeting with the U.S. Was there still the heated competition between the U.S. and Canada at that point? No, not at all. No. Not wow. at all. In all honesty, the U.S. was not even considered a, a, you know, a power. Not even close. They were not considered. Just that's just the way it was. They just, they just weren't considered to be that high quality. And uh, you know, I was just freshening up and looking through the list, and really didn't come up with any, any chellers. Maybe there was a couple here and there, but had a cup of coffee, but nothing as far as you know the Krutovs or the Larionovs or the Currys or the Steens or yeah. Igor Liba who played uh, for Czech Republic, I believe, or Czechoslovakia at the time. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, different different world, different styles, different makeups, different routes to get there. And uh, that was it. But, uh, you know, we that first game was so weird with the penalties. And then at the end of the game with, you know, us, Mike Keenan calling us off the ice and not standing for the national anthem into the next game against the Russians. And, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to get them. You're trying to beat them. There's just no way. I mean, just, they were just, they were really, they were dominant. Did, did you gain confidence as a player after that tournament? Because again, you're talking about playing against guys who really impressed you like Krutov and like Curry and some of the guys on your team, Larry Murphy and Crossman and Dino Cicerelli, who's a hall of famer as well as Larry Murphy. Uh, when you play well in a tournament like that, you had three goals and two assists. You played exceptionally well. Did that give you the confidence that, okay, I'm, I'm as good as either you thought you were, or I'm as good as a lot of people think that I can be after playing in a tournament like that? Yeah, it was, it was, it was disappointing. First of all, because again, after the first two games, we're basically, we're, we're out of it. So that was hard. And it was, you know, we played back to back Thursday and Friday just to open up. And you're, you're done. Yeah. And you still got another week or so. Right. And, but you're, you're, you're now you're, you know, you're not playing for medals anymore. So it's just not, but individually it was okay. I, I knew the group, you know, again, I, I, it was very easy to see how high, highly skilled the, the players were on the other teams. Easy to see that. Uh, at the end of the tournament, each team selects three players as I was selected one for Canada as the best players in the tournament. You know, at the end of the tournament, each team does that. Or I think a group of, I don't even know if it was media. I Actually, I think it was it was representatives from each team get together and they vote on what they felt were the best three players on the other teams. 
and that vote was to have. So I was I was selected in that. So that you know that gave me that, that just a little satisfaction. Again, it was a, it was an odd situation playing on a team that is your your rival, and you know you're going to go back into the OHL schedule and you have to play them. And then, like I said, we play them at the end of the year in the playoffs, and so now they know you a little bit more. You know them, but then it's just really really odd. There had to be some trash talking, right? Anything where you guys got it's, together and said, you know, "I'm going to get well, you later on." No, you know that's that's the way every game was in the OHJ at the time. I mean, that's it was. It was rough and tough hockey back then compared to nowadays. Now again, I was I was a pretty big wheel at that time. I led the OHL in scoring, uh, you know, all of that type of stuff. My last year, and we finished first first in the in the regular season, but then lose to the Pete's in the playoffs. Um, so that was it was it was a difficult thing to go. But no, that the competition value was incredible. It was through the roof, and they were higher skilled than I was, no question. I mean, they just, as a group, they were just higher skilled and that's the way they were taught. That's the way they played. And the preparation and the practice, again, I'm, I'm back on that, but you, it was night and day to watch us practice and any one of the European teams practice. It was just, they were just so much, the drills were so much more intricate. They involved skill development and on every drill. But they also involved the team concept of, again, the breakouts and how they would do those types of things. Um, you know, North American hockey back then was simple. There was nothing to it. It was go out and beat the other team. And they had a plan. The European groups, they had a plan. They had a team. They had. They all grew up in the same style, the same system. And um, that skill showed through. When you guys get together, by the way, I'm fascinated by this, the idea of you joining this team and they're the majority of their group is there. And so you're still sort of an outsider with only four or five of you guys from your team. And then you mentioned Dino. I think back to Miracle, the movie Miracle, where they talk about uh, all the U.S. players getting together and they're all from different schools. Some guys from Boston and some guys from Minnesota. And, you know, they had basically the best players from all over the country and you, you remember seeing how Herb Brooks had to get them together and eventually they get into fights on the ice and Herb says, nah, just let them go, let them work it out. And they finally become a team. You guys were together for such a short period. So it's a completely different scenario in that regard. But is there any kind of having it out with each other the first maybe few days and, and finally you guys bonded or, you know, you just went out there and you played your few games and, and you guys separated and that was that. Yeah, I think that everyone was on their best behavior because of the natural rivalry that was just staring everyone in the face. I mean, when you grind it out every game against them in the regular season. And again, for us, again, Mike Keenan was coaching there. Brian Kilray was coaching the Ottawa 67s. The Peterborough Peets were known for the shutdown, lock it down, defense, boring. And the Ottawa 67s were known as the let's run and gun, let's go at it, let's play it, let's skill, let's that, you know, let's entertain. And so you had complete contrasts in so many different things. But I think because of those contrasts, I think again that everyone was on their best behavior. They didn't want to be the person that was guilty of, you know, tearing a team apart. When, as you mentioned, you only had such a small amount of time to get together. And you know, that, that was, I don't think that was ever a concern at all. I, I really don't. Uh, it was odd and it was, 
I have an uneasy feeling talking about it right now. Yeah. And that's, you know, years and years and years ago, I just have this, it's, it's just, you just never felt comfortable. You really didn't. I didn't, you know, the, 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 uh, let them see something you work on in practice, you know, you know, the, <laughs> are you going to give away a little secret, you know, a move that you use, or now you're shooting on their goalies and they're getting used to you. Uh, you're getting used to them obviously, but you know, that's just all those little, if there are any trade secrets uh, that players have individually or as a group or as a team. Uh, and again, we had five sixty seven, So we had, we had a full five man unit together there. And, uh, basically played together the whole tournament that way. Yeah. And again, that's another thing that, you know, the, we're talking about styles. That was something that we learned there. Basically the European teams played in five man units. You know, they, we have forward lines and defense, right? They, ha- they basically kept their units together all the time. And the same five guys would be on the ice just about every, you know, as much yeah. as possible. And uh, that's another thing that I think, kind of evolved and you know of course with Detroit they ended up having the Russian five here in the NHL and uh it's got to be a little it bit it was uh yeah I, it's 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 a great experience at the same time because it's the uh Peterborough Pete's it was just it's just I, I have this sick feeling in my stomach right now that I just never had a chance to really enjoy it as much as you hope you would because you were just you were a little bit on edge just or on guard, or whatever you call it, you just didn't want. Could you be completely yourself? No, you couldn't because you didn't want to let them know too much about you. That's the way I, I felt anyway. It's just amazing that they made you guys do it that way. I mean, how can you expect to succeed against these groups that you're playing against when you know you're you're playing for a team that you're not comfortable playing with and you're wearing their uniform, which is so odd and it, it's it's amazing to see Jim how it's evolved to go from that type of setup to what we see now yeah. from Hockey Canada, where there's an expectation that if you don't go there and win, what are you guys doing? There, it's complete failure. And obviously, you're wearing these you know great uniforms and you're playing as a team, and it's a totally different setup. So to see where it was in 1980 to where it is now, it's it's 180 degrees. I wouldn't doubt whether that tournament really clicked the button and flick the switch for hockey Canada to get a little bit more organized as far as how they were going to develop and select their teams. Uh, so I think again, the disappointing placement at fifth, although again, I, I, I think most anyone who was at that tournament would say we were at least the top three team. Uh, but that's, I think maybe, the, you know, everyone went back to the drawing board and said, okay, we got to do this differently. We can't do this the same way again. And, and I felt we played fine. We played well. We played as well as we could. We just, you know, I assume if they would have had players from Quebec and from Western, I, I assume I would have made the team. I mean, I was ended up being the Canadian uh, player of the year representative from Ontario at the end of that season. So I, I think I would have been on the team, but we certainly would have been surrounded by you know, the Paul Coffees and from, you know, the Ontario league and just all, all over the entire, entire yeah. country might've made a difference as you watch it the last several years now. And, you know, really the last couple of decades, how, how into it do you get, are, are you really excited to watch that tournament? Is it, is it something where you want to see Canada obviously do well? It, I'm sure it means something to you. Um, I'm sure it's big all over Canada, probably bigger than it is in the U S certainly because we just know hockey is generally bigger there. Um, how, how into it do you get? Well, I, I, 
I don't necessarily, I get nervous. And it's like many of the international competitions. I, I have dual citizenship now, so I'm American and Canadian, but of course, naturalized American, born in Canada. And, uh, you know, I always find myself cheering for the team that would have the most to lose. You know, so for instance, when the U.S. goes into basketball competitions, I'm cheering for Team USA because if they lose, it's just, you know, it can't happen, right? It's devastating. It's what's going on. And and for hockey, it would be I cheer for Canada because when they go back home and they've lost, it, you know, they're crucified and they're just thrown through the everything is thrown at them and they're criticized up and down. And why did they do this? And why was this player selected here? And why didn't he do this on this penalty shot? And what, I mean, it goes the way it's, it's picked apart is so intense. So I, but I get, I get an, I get an uneasy feeling watching it because there is tons of pressure and, and uh, there should be, and it's fine. And I think I know uh, Dean Lombardi of, you know, put together the Stanley cup teams with, with the Kings, he, he always talked about watching players in that tournament because of the pressure. And he felt it was a very, very good way to analyze and evaluate players based on the amount of pressure that is involved in that tournament nowadays. And as you know, nowadays it is a, you know, it's a, it's a complete, this is an orchestrated, well done, world-class tournament. I mean, you know, media up, all over the place, you know, TV, every game can, you can find it somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so it's come a long way, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I watch it. It really does bring back the intensity. I, again, I, I get almost like I was playing those games because you just, for me in that environment, I just want Canada to win because I feel if they go back home losers, they're, looked upon a lot more seriously than if team USA went back. Uh, you know, yeah. Has, makes sense. By the know. way. So a lot of the, the kids that participate in this, for those who don't watch it very often are 18, 19 years old this year in particular, I, I want to get your feedback on this. I'm very curious about it. I saw that Canada added an, a 16 year old a kid named Bedard, who is supposed to be phenomenally talented. He's not a very big guy. He's, still just 16 years old. I'm sure he has room to grow, but he's about five foot seven, five foot six, and, and a kid with tremendous skill. He's gotten an exemption or exemption, excuse me, to play in this tournament and, and to play at the level that he's been playing at all year. Is it, and, and obviously they feel like he can handle it. They wouldn't put him in this spot if he couldn't, but you're talking about the pressure that these kids are under to perform well at their age. Let's say 19 and 18, they expect them to be able to handle it. For a 16-year-old and one of the rare 16-year-olds, I think he's the seventh one ever in Team Canada history as a 16-year-old to participate in this tournament. Is it fair to put a 16-year-old in that type of environment? I think so, because I think it is they're much better prepared from, from an early, early, early age. I'm talking 12-year-old. When you're in Peewee, you, if you're at a high level, uh, you know, triple-A level in a big city, it's um, you're already starting to learn how to interact with teammates, coaches, media, people around, parents. Uh, you really get uh, an understanding of it. Now, again, I, I would assume they would have support systems available for a younger player like that that might not necessarily be tailored towards some of the older guys on the team, but they would keep a closer eye on him, uh, you know, to make sure the pressure is not overwhelming. Um, 
from that standpoint. But, you know, now, you know, he's got, you know, he's like you said, he's such a select group that his, his standing has already been established. And, yeah. uh, it's, it's a, it's an incredible, there is pressure. I mean, he's, you know, when he, I'm just reading a little thing now, he was, you know, he was, uh, the first overall pick in the Bantam draft. So picked from when he was like 15 years old to go play in the Western hockey league. He was the number one pick in that draft. So you get, you, you know, in, in hockey, you, you're used to that, right? When I was 15, it was the same thing for me. In Ontario, I was the number one selected player as, as a 15-year-old. So you you feel that pressure, and some guys handle it better than others. Uh, but it does prepare you. It really does prepare you for uh, that type of thing that this young gentleman Bedard is going through right now. He's he's already gone through it when he was, you know, maybe it'll only be two years ago now for him because he is so young. Yeah. But he has been placed at the highest level of leagues since he was 10 years old and i think you get used to that i think there is much more of a a priority put on uh, the mental aspects of a sport nowadays and the there are a lot there's a lot of help and guidance for those types of players amazing and if you look at the list it's unbelievable of the other players i just mentioned this is a very select group of mcdavid i assume gretzky Gretzky, McDavid, yeah, yeah those, yeah. they're in that. And to be that good, that mm-hmm. young, and this kid is expected to be the number one overall pick in the draft in 2023. And so he'll get a taste of the World Juniors this year. He'll probably participate in it again next year and then probably uh, become the number one overall pick and make the NHL pretty early. It's just amazing to be that good, that young. And that's what this tournament, I think, shows a yeah. lot of people is, is this amazing talent on display. Because- you know, in in, can, in hockey, to speak mostly, even now, but back when I played, again, there was no affiliation basically with a school system. You played based on age. And very few, when I played, went to the U.S. college route. All right? They, they very rarely went that way. They usually played junior hockey in Canada because they felt that was the best way to prepare themselves for an NHL chance. And... So those tournaments, it's just like, you know, I watch high school basketball and high school football on TV now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's on. They haven't televised nationally. Well, that's the same thing in Canada, but you're not affiliated with a school system. You're affiliated with a junior team in your hometown or the town that you're playing in or the city you're playing in. Uh, But the scrutiny placed on that is much like it is now so it's no different you mentioned how young well i see you know the point guard for this team carrying the ball up the, the court and he's 16 years old and he's yeah. going to graduate in a couple of years and he's going to go to ucla and you know be on the number one right you know that's 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 the way it is so it's similar uh, and it's just a different sport uh, and a different system nowadays it is Nowadays, you have a lot of those players that will go to the World Juniors and they have been playing college hockey or they're coming out of a prep school somewhere uh, or the USA, uh, USHL now. They have different leagues that are certainly uh, different than the junior setup, but it's still heavily favored towards that junior system. Absolutely. And the the cool thing, I think it's cool as far as competition goes, is you'll have a 16-year-old like Bedard who's playing with 
and 18 or 19. I'm not sure what Mason McTavish is at this point. I, I think he may still be 18, but he could be 19. But he's already been in the NHL. Yeah, and he's yeah. gotten a taste of the NHL. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that existed when you played in 80. Had anybody already been in the NHL no. at that point? Again, no. The, it's, the draft system was completely different. Right. Uh, they hadn't... They hadn't figured those things out yet legally uh, as far as, you know, work rights and, you know, why shouldn't you be able to be work at 18 years old as opposed to wait till you're 20 when, you know, that's basically the way it was when I was growing up. It was a 20 year old draft and you weren't selected until you were 20. Then they had the World Hockey Association come in, a little competition that changed things. And all of a sudden, then you had a competing league and they were selecting players younger uh, and then the NHL basically had to change their rules because I think basically if you take it to court, you would probably win your case to be able to play at 18 years old uh, because you're considered an adult and things of that sort. So, yeah. But so yeah, I, I, when I was 15 years old, I, I moved away from home. It was only 75 miles away, but I, I moved away. And I played in a league that basically by the end of that season had 21-year-olds on the team. So I was playing as 15 against 21-year-olds. And I remember we won the league my, 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 that year. And at the end, we were in the locker room and, you know, they're cracking open beers and they're, you know, they're, some <laughs> of the guys are 20, 21. And back then, basically in, in Ontario was 18 years old was drinking age. And so they're, they're you know, the coaches and most of the players. And, you know, so I had a beer in my hand, I'm 15 and my dad came into the room and he grabbed that beer out of my hand. And said, what the <laughs> heck are you doing? You know, uh, but that's that's the environment, you know, you're placed in. I'm placed with adults and I'm 15 and they have girlfriends and, you know, they, some of them have they're almost married, you know, and I'm 15 years old and away from home for the first time. It was that was a very uh, interesting experience. But I remember yeah. that at the end of the year, my, my my dad saw that beer in my hand. And I was just someone just gave me it like, you know, right. You're, you're in the room everyone's, you know, and you're. Like you're taking it, pretending it's champagne, and you're you know all over people. And, you, know, you just won and uh, having a great time. But uh, what an odd dynamic! Uh, you you mentioned with the beer thing. Did you get in any trouble in any way in Finland? I don't know what the drinking age in Finland was at that time. Yeah, you know that's uh, you know I'll be honest with you. It was around Christmas time, and I I remember it was it was dark for I think there was maybe four hours of sunlight basically because it's so high up into the, almost close to the Arctic Circle there in Helsinki. Yeah. So that it was, it was kind of depressing to be honest, just because I, I'm from Canada and I, I go through, you know, winters that, you know, it's, it's the same type of thing. You have shorter days, but that one was a little bit more difficult, you know, and we were, we were kind of chaperoned around everywhere. You know, we're, we were, you know, buses at this time, you go, everyone did things together. Uh, and I think that's more of the, the approach it was then. So. Gotcha. You really didn't have a lot of chance to go off by yourself and do anything. Uh, do I remember having a beer after a game or something? No, not really. No, it was just, it was right back to the hotel and, you know, right back to practice the next day and game the next day and that type yeah. of stuff. By the way, uh, and again, I know we have to wrap up here. Yari Curry, you mentioned him uh, playing for Team Finland. What, what an unbelievable player we know he became and what a great king he was, what a great oiler he was. Did you know at that time just how good he was going to be? Um. You know what, Yari was, he's a smooth player. He was really smooth. He, he, uh, you knew he was one of the top players in the tournament, 
based on his, which is no different than the NHL. It was based on his overall game. Like he, he really was put in a lot of different circumstances for team Finland. And that's how we knew it. Now the, um, the player that stood out the most was the Russ Lehnen, the defenseman. Huh. He ended up playing with the Rangers. And I mean, he was a, an incredible skater. And and for that reason, he stood out. Like when he had the puck, he'd go end to end and back and forth as a defenseman. He was, he stood out. Krutov stood out. Again, th- those types of players probably stood out more than, for instance, uh, you know, a Curry or a Larianov, who were more structured and smart and intelligent and not necessarily physically dominating. But Rosalainen and Krutov, they were physically dominant. They could dangle. Yeah. And that's how they stood out. So what about with Dino on your team? Yeah, you know, he, he was he was the prototypical North American player, right? Dino couldn't really skate that well. And he never could. He scored 600 goals in the NHL because he just put his butt right in front of the net. And that's where all the goals were. And he would find a way to get there and he'd find tips and shots and rebounds. And that's yeah. the way he scored. So that's nothing, nothing changed about his game. And it's interesting because he was prototypical North American, you know, not really a skating player, but even in that tournament, the good players find a way, right? They find a way to get to the top, regardless of the style being played, regardless of the team structure being asked to do, um, they find a way. All right. Well, this was a, a nice look down memory lane, and I really appreciate it. Pretty cool, I would think, just to have that experience in your background and be able to relive it and and know that it was a part of your life in hockey, right? Yeah, it's it was a great experience. It was an eye-opener. It was my first time really traveling anywhere, of course, you know, overseas to play. Um, I think uh, I was fortunate enough to play in the 1986 World Championships for Canada and won a bronze medal in Moscow. Uh, so those international competitions are, like I say, eye-opening, uh, interesting experiences. We'll have to talk about that Russian experience because that was just incredible. That was back in communist Russian days, 1986. But uh, that's when we had a chance to play against the, well, Larianov and Kutov and Makarov and Kasitonov and Fetisov. And so the, these were the big boys. And, uh, but it's a, it's a, and in that tournament in 86, I was able to wear a Canadian jersey. So, uh, and that I'm that, sure was fulfilling. Yeah, that was it. All right. We're going to do a whole full show at some point on that tournament because I'm dying to hear about it. All right. That'll do it for this week's On the Sly. Take care, everybody. <laughs> 